This is a Soul Fire production. Are you ready to enhance your sexual, erotic, and relational intelligence? Welcome to Higher Sex, where we take sex education to the next level. Come here to get curious about sex and cultivate acceptance, deep love, and intimacy. No topic is too hot to handle. As a psychotherapist and sexologist, Kelly playfully leads listeners through worlds of informative and actionable sex education, personal stories from her inspirational guests, and leading edge research from trusted experts. Higher sex is scandalous and explorative, leaving you wanting more. Let's keep this conversation going. Subscribe today so you don't miss out on these hot new episodes each week. Hi, everyone. I am excited to introduce Stacey Jacobs to the show and to all of you. She is a sexual health educator, and she has been teaching all things sex and sexual health um, since I've met her, which has been forever ago, but she's like for, you know, two decades, she was saying, I believe, on the show. She um, is an amazing resource for normalizing and destigmatizing, talking about all things sex and sexual health and sexual development and sexuality across the lifespan. She is a great resource for anyone wanting to talk about sex with your kids or with your family and friends and what are age-appropriate conversations to be having as well. We also talk about skin hunger and you know a ton of other topics. She's a wealth of information and can cover a lot of ground. And I always have a lot of fun talking to her. And so I hope this conversation is a lot of fun for you to listen to and I hope that you enjoy it. So thanks for listening. Welcome, welcome, Stacey Jacobs. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Obviously, I think the world of you and I think you're the best sexuality educator I've ever met. So I'm so excited to be able to talk to you on the show. Wow. Thanks, Kelly. I think you're great too. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, honestly, I think that we've um, met earlier on when we were both working at Planned Parenthood way back when, but now it's called Shore. I, w- I was a volunteer there, but ever since I've known you, you've always been a sexuality educator. It's been a while, I guess. I guess, you know what? Two decades. Two decades. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious if you're, um, how did you end up finding a passion in human sexuality in general? Like, did, was there a defining moment or did you just sort of fall into it? There was not a defining moment, but I absolutely have always been very comfortable talking about controversial topics. One of my other favorite topics is actually death, which is something else that people don't like to talk about. My dad, I was always joked that, you know, I find what makes people uncomfortable and I talk about it. I, I do think, I think the piece is that I think that things like sexual health and thinking about death are really important and I think we need to do more of that. And then it makes you more and more comfortable, you know, the more you talk about it, the more you're exposed to it. So I think of every little thing I do as just more exposure for people and hopefully, you know, just increasing their comfort levels just a teeny tiny little bit each time. But then at some point it will get get them to a place where they are more comfortable and they can do what they need to do for themselves. And when we think about sexual health, it is really part of our health. So we need to look at it as like a, a bigger picture and as a more holistic thing, because if we're not sexually healthy, then we're not healthy. Holistically, yeah. What are some of the dangers, I guess, that you've seen, or even just through? Because I know you've developed a lot of educational materials throughout the years as well to help people navigate these conversations around how to talk to your kids about sex, how to talk to your partners about sex, how to negotiate consent, all that sort of stuff. 
So I guess I'm curious as to, you're so passionate and an activist, I'd say, about starting these conversations because they are important to our overall health. But what are some of the risks if people don't become comfortable talking about sex and sexuality? Well, what I really see and what I really strive to change is parents who are really uncomfortable, all of a sudden then they have children who are uncomfortable. So if you grew up in a household where you weren't allowed to talk about certain things, or maybe you weren't allowed to use certain words, so you know you can't use the word penis, test vagina that, that teaches children very specific things and then those children aren't allowed to ask their parents questions so they're, they're lacking that information and we know now that you can google a lot of things you can find things other places but you can also find really harmful information online as well so you want to make sure that parents are comfortable talking to their children and then I look at us as prevention so if we can have these conversations about our bodies and I think you know just starting with our bodies is a really important place to start Mm -hmm. because a lot of people aren't comfortable with their bodies so if you can get comfortable with the language and talking about your body and understanding how it works then you can be just more comfortable in general with yourself you can see that now I think more than ever that people are very you know insecure people are self-conscious social media it does not help with these things so if we can have those just you know everyday little conversations at home and I know my parents were comfortable having these conversations oh that's nice I, yeah and I, I helped you become comfortable I'm sure right because then you didn't shy away from it I didn't and like I could see that you know it was a topic I was allowed to talk about I was allowed to ask questions nudity was okay in my house you know we didn't have to close and lock doors I remember sitting with my brothers I have two younger brothers sitting at the kitchen counter and we used to have talking sex with Stacy time <laughs> <laughs> I knew about the show Talking Sex with Sue. Of course. So we we used to talk about stuff. And I mean, I led them astray, sometimes <laughs> on purpose, because <laughs> that's also the kind of family we have. But, but we are pretty open to having these conversations. And I can see looking back that if my parents weren't open about those things, I probably would not be who I was right. or who I am. Right. And leading those conversations yeah. even just with your siblings, because even sometimes... Yeah. I find that, you know, if people aren't comfortable talking about within their family, they hide it from their family, but maybe talk about it within their peers circles. Mm -hmm. But from what I've known about you, you are comfortable talking about it anywhere and you kind of show up and you bring those Volvo puppets and you just like kind of put it all out there. And right away, I think it shocks people or brings up discomfort, but then quickly you're normalizing and talking about it. Like, you know, this is, um, you know, your body parts. There's nothing to be embarrassed about here. Like a lot of people have these and yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I admit, I sometimes bring it up for the shock value or just, um, sometimes people start asking me inappropriate questions. So it depends, you know, what kind of mood I'm in, how I'll respond to that. But I also try to be really sensitive to who I'm with. So our, like what culture people are from, um, what age people are, where I am. You know, is this an appropriate dinner conversation when I'm out with, you know, my partner's boss? Maybe right. not. You know, or at least I don't bring it up. But the, the thing now is that once people find out you are a sex educator, mm-hmm. they bring it up. They, they have questions. They want to, you know, they have very usually specific questions that you can tell they've been holding on to for years. And, you know, they just throw it out there. Sometimes even strangers, if they somehow figure out, you know, that you're open to having these conversations. So I have found myself having sexual health conversations in the strangest places. But I remember, I think it was actually last Christmas and it was Christmas Eve and we were at church. So my parents are Catholic 
And sometimes over the holidays, I'll go to church with them because that makes them happy. And it was someone who I knew from kind of through work. And we started talking about sexual health at the back of the church. And I remember I did get a dirty look from my mother at that point because place she's open time. about it. But it was a time and a place thing. <laughs> <laughs> so like, sorry, I can't so help definitely, yeah, being aware of, of where you are, but but at the same time, these are very normal conversations that we should be having, and it would be better. So if we did normalize it, and it was something that everybody talked about, it was open about, then there would like the time and place wouldn't matter. Yeah, and would you like? And and I agree. I think that what you're saying, and I know I've been around you, and I've, I think I've even been with you where people have randomly started conversations with you, but you're always talking about it in a very respectful sexual health type of way. So it, they are respectful, yeah. educational, informative, normalizing type of dialogues as well and thought provoking. And you, you come at it with a lens of encouraging curiosity as well. Yeah. I'm curious though, do you feel like more often than not, um, when you know, you're surprised by questions or especially if people have been holding on to them for a while, cause you know, who do you talk to about these things if you don't think that people are comfortable, that most people are, are respectful in how they bring things up with you and, and um, how you in a corner and try to pick your brain or whatnot? Or do you feel like sometimes people maybe mistake like what you do and how, like what your role is in the community? And then how do you navigate those types of yeah. dialogues? Usually people are respectful and they use the best language they have. So I'm very considerate of that is that some people don't have the right words to use or they're not comfortable saying a word such as vulva or vagina. So I I kind of go with the language that they're that they're using sometimes I correct a little bit along the way in a respectful way as well just because then it's just a little piece of education for them but most people and a lot of people have questions about their relationships and about their own sex lives and at the base of a lot of it too is they're asking am I normal you know like is it okay that I do this and they've been worried for like maybe even since they were a kid like is it normal that I masturbate twice a day and maybe they started doing that as you know when puberty hit and they've been worried about that for the last, you know, 20 years. Right. So I, I want them to be able to ask these questions and I want to make them feel like it's okay. Yeah. And even when it's something that's not that common, that doesn't mean it's not okay. So they might have a, a question that, you know, I don't get every day, but it doesn't mean it's not a natural thing for them to be doing. Right. So, and I just look at it too, especially with sexual behavior, as long as it's consensual um, between adults, then do what you need to do and, and have fun with it. And then there are some people who do hear, oh, you're a sex educator. And right away they jump to oh that means Stacy likes to have a lot of sex or that means right. you know Stacy is potentially a sex worker which I have no problem with sex work I think that it's a choice that lots of people make and should be able to make I do think it should be decriminalized yep. but they just jump right away to this like behavior right and they project onto you what they yeah. assume your role yeah, yeah and I so I do correct them in that sense because there's a big difference between like having sex and educating about sex mm -hmm. and I want to make it clear that when I educate about sex I don't touch anybody um, because I do do a lot of or I have in the past done a lot of education with children for example you know and I'm not you know going into a grade school and teaching you know a class of grade threes how to give good blowjobs like that is not what sex education is right well right. it could be actually it could be but it has to be in the right context 
Well, and, and I guess that's what I'm getting at. Like, do you feel like sometimes yeah. you even said sometimes it, if you feel like the audience and it's appropriate, you'll use the shock value, right? Um, do you feel like sometimes other people might use that with you? Oh, absolutely. But then they realize really quickly that they can't shock me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I shouldn't say that. I definitely have been shocked, but I right now can't remember when the last time was. Yeah. Sometimes kids just say really, really adorable things. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I'm shocked, but I like my, one of my favorite stories is um, there was a little boy who was learning what his penis was. Yeah. And so he, he, he thought it through. I thought this was amazing. So he said, okay, this is my penis. P comes out of my penis. So he started calling his butthole, his poonus. Because poo came out of his poo-ness. An association. Yeah, and I was like, that is amazing. And it's so hard in those moments not to laugh. Because you don't want to laugh at them because that like made a lot of sense. You know, they were thinking that through. But I still remember that. I'm like, that was one of like the most amazing things I've heard. See, and that and that's cool just to see how people's brains work or how you even get to see people feel less shame even before your eyes, right? And by normalizing or creating a safe space to ask questions and probably, you know, use the question box or whether they show, like pull you aside after you do a workshop or a presentation or something like that. Absolutely. And yeah, I like it when people pull me aside later and ask very specific questions because it, it, like most people don't want to ask a personal question in front of the whole brain. And, and that's understandable. So I always, you know, if I do education and like physically in a space, then I definitely always wait around afterwards in case someone wants to have a little one-on-one -on -one conversation. Yeah. I think, I think that's actually really important that we we give people that space right. and I've always promoted too. So for example, um, like if a special occasion is coming up, you can buy kids books or even adults books. And I well, I love reading. I love books, but I also love books that are, you know, up to date and have the right information because not all books are created equal right. especially around sexual health and bodies. And some of them are very um, opinionated. For example, like instead of talking to kids about what sex actually is, They'll, they'll talk about people who are in love or people who are married, which that doesn't have to happen to have sex. Or they talk about, you know, a dance. And I'm like, well, it's not exactly a dance. Like they're skirting around something, right? Like they're not yeah. being and explicit. So it's like open to interpretation. Exactly. And I've seen the confusion that that causes with kids, you know, because then they do think, you know, that dancing with somebody can get them pregnant or, you know, the kids who think, you know, kissing can lead to pregnancy or they just don't understand because we didn't actually tell them, you know, we and didn't tell them that information in vagina and what a penis in a vagina are. Arm them with the accurate health information, yeah. right? That's more even relevant and current too as well. Because I know even with the new sex ed curriculum in Ontario, they're trying to be more up-to-date and inclusive with the times, trying to. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do try, but it, it is difficult because you do have to please a lot of uh, different families uh, from different religions, from cultures, and it, it can be difficult, but we really do need to stick to, I think, the facts and the science. And then it is the parents' role to absolutely give the, like, you know, their opinion, their values, yeah, family their values. beliefs. Yeah, but a school's place is to teach the science and the facts and to also make everybody feel safe. So teaching things like consent is really, really important mm -hmm. and teaching things around you know the LGBTQ community as well because that that's our society you know so it, it is okay to be gay or to be trans and we need to learn about gender and sexual orientation in a respectful way oh of course no I'm glad that you um, touched on that and mentioned that but you know even going back you mentioned if parents can start to check themselves and work through their own discomfort or caregivers care providers mm -hmm. to work through their own discomfort then they don't have to put that and pass that on to their own kids so 
I know, again, going back to all the resources that you develop, but what are some ways that um, people can do that? Because even, you know, through my work, I, I, I predominantly work with adults, but I, I'll hear partners say like, well, you know, I'm just feeling really on edge because I know the questions are coming and like, I just don't want to mess it up. Like, I don't want to, I don't, so I'm trying to like prepare myself, but I think by almost like that building up that anticipation, it's like, okay, well, you're, you could stick your foot in your mouth. So how do you, how do you A, work through your current discomforts? And then how do you also navigate maybe conversations where maybe you're, you're feeling uncomfortable and then that's very apparent or obvious? Well, and I think parents can admit to their kids that they are uncomfortable because kids, kids are going to know anyways by looking at their parents' face or what the parent is saying. Red face, stuttering. Yeah. (laughs) Don't pretend that you're not. And, but say, you know, we're going to work through this together. And the other piece too, is like a parent saying, oh, you know, I know the conversation is coming or I know the question is coming. Yeah. It builds up this huge anxiety and it's not a talk or a conversation. This is a conversation that should have started when your child was born. So having little conversations all the time is a lot less anxiety provoking than waiting for like a big talk. Yeah. And don't, don't wait for your kids to ask a question. Some kids will ask questions, but some kids will never ask you a question. Right. So don't think you're off the hook if your kid doesn't ask a question. Maybe they're asking somebody else, or maybe they're sitting with the wrong information or um, feeling a lot of anxiety themselves because they don't have the answer. Right. So you need to look at the personality of your, of your children and say, like, hey, do they ask questions about other things? Because if they do, then they'll probably ask questions about sexual health or bodies or relationships. But if they're, if they're quiet and more introverted, maybe they won't. So then would you encourage care providers to broach the conversation? And if so, how? If, if it's not like, oh, let's have this sit down. And I know you have a lot of creative ways and age-appropriate conversation starters, door openers, I believe you call them. Um, so what are some ways just off, off the top of your head? I know you probably have a bazillion, but key ones that could be helpful to start the conversation just to normalize that you can talk to me about this and we can talk about this within our, our household. Well, and I think the, the easiest way is just to use real life examples. So you are at a restaurant and you see somebody breastfeeding. You can have a talk then about what that is and what's happening. You can use television, Netflix, whatever you're watching with your children. And I do encourage you to watch some of the shows that your children are watching. I mean, maybe not all the way through, but check out what they are watching just so that you know what content is in it. I know it's, it's, it was easier when there was commercial breaks, which there aren't as many of on Netflix and whatnot, yeah. breaks, but, or like you could pause something and say, Hey, you know, look, like that person just said this, how do you feel about what they said? Or how do you feel about the way this person treated this person? Because there's a lot that you can bring up around relationships specifically from what's happening on a a TV show. So even if there's no sex actually happening, there's absolutely relationships happening all the time. So you can get things in about consent and respect and how different genders maybe are treated and different cultures and races. And you can get all of those pieces um, from watching any television show, really. Or video game, too. Well, yeah, with uh, yeah, I'm surprised by how real life a lot of the the video games are looking these days. They they kind of scare me, and <laughs> I don't I don't play video games. I right. looked into some of them on purpose because I've heard some really nasty things, and yeah, all of those things were confirmed. So um, my partner does have a few of the games, and so he showed me what was happening, and I was kind of appalled. And then you find out that people in grade school are playing these games. 
Right. And I think, you know, parents don't look at video games maybe in the same way as they do um, like television shows. I'm not sure for sure about that, but you need to. But it is the newer potentially like generational um, difference. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. it's not Mario Kart anymore. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I played Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Like that's, that's what I played. That just really aged me, but. Um, <laughs> Hedgehog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's all good. Those are fun too. <laughs> I even um, love though that you're talking about like just asking, you know, kids, teens, tweens, whatever age they are, how they're feeling. So it even, it even encourages them to stop and reflect in and actually check in with themselves. How do I feel about that? Um, what would I do in that situation? Or, um, you know, do I have friends or peers that are in a similar situation? And it, it encourages that critical thinking and for them to actually listen to their own inner guidance or information about how they feel about something versus just going along to get along and going so fast, like through different scenarios. So by even encouraging those dialogues and pausing and uh, teaching them through experience to stop and reflect and really think about how you feel about that and to catch different things too. And as an adult, as a parent, you can always model the behavior that you expect from your children. And I know that's easier said than done, especially right now when you are super frustrated. Maybe you are stuck at home with your children <laughs> and in a small space. And I think because of what's happening right now, right now with the global pandemic, um, rules are changing a little bit and people need to do what they need to do right now to survive and to get through this. Yeah. However, try keeping in the back of your mind that your children are watching you at all times. So they're watching the dynamic between you and your relationships, so your friends, your partners. They're also going to model the behavior that you model. Right. So you can't model one thing and tell them to do something else. Right. And, and they will look to you for answers and for advice. And so you need to, you know, you need to be aware of this. I, I know some parents especially around things like consent, you can start teaching kids consent when they're like one, two years old. And some parents I've spoke to model it with their pets at home. So, I mean, I have dogs and I have done this myself where you pick them up and you want a hug, you need to hold them. But the dog is like pushing away yeah. and looking the other direction and maybe biting at you. Like, and, and you're like, but no, I, I want my hug. <laughs> Right. So, so recognizing that children see those sorts of things as well. So I think it's really great that parents have decided they can model that with pets. Right. So when they see the kid doing that, they can say, oh, look, you know, look at the body language of, you know, whatever the pet's name is. They clearly don't want to hug right now because we need to look at more than words. We need to teach them about body language, facial expressions, because we get a lot of our information from that, not just from what people are saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's so important, especially around consent as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, something we were talking about before was speaking of the pandemic is skin hunger mm -hmm. and how sometimes young parents can feel touched out, but then there are also people who are older that are maybe feeling starved for skin hunger with all the social distancing and everything going on right now. So, um, can you share a little bit about that and sort of what you're seeing and hearing? Yeah. And so these are words, maybe people aren't um, All right. Yeah. Sure what they mean. So if you say touched Thank out, you for educating us on skin hunger and touched out. <laughs> um, so there, there's definitely parents I've spoke to who, who they would say are touched out. So they, they need their own space. They need to be alone. They need to be someplace where nobody will touch them. Yep. So that means no children, no adults, no pets. They just need to be alone. I, I know somebody who every year for their birthday, they ask for a hotel room for the night to be alone. 
Mm-hmm. So they are, they are a parent, they, their work involves um, working with a lot of people and they just need a break. They need to be alone. And I think we don't recognize sometimes that people do need to be alone. And there's definitely different personality types where some people need more alone time, some people need less, and some people just need, you know, a mixture. And right now there are some people who need to be alone because they've been with too many people and too close of like a proximity for too long. But then there's other people who have skin hunger because they have been alone and they've been alone for a really long time. Right. So what they need, they need touch. They need caring touch. They need affectionate touch. So they don't need things like medical touch. So if you look at the aging population, often the only type of touch they're getting is their medical care. And that's not the type of touch that your body body craves. And on top of that, it's like wearing the PPE, the gloves yeah. mask and everything. Yeah, so everyone has gloves and masks and, and you feel like, you know, they don't want to touch me, you know. I might, you know, get them sick or they're going to get me sick. So, but what we need is um, not sex, but affectionate touch. So a hug, a, even a, a handshake or holding of somebody's hand. Those are the little pieces of touch that we need. And sometimes people don't recognize that they, that they do need it. The population actually that's affected the most are people who are incarcerated because often the only kind of touch they get is potentially, you know, violent touch. And even if you go to visit someone, you're not supposed to touch them, right? Like we were just talking earlier about law and order. So, you know, like I, I always see this on law and order where you go to visit somebody in a prison or in jail. And, you know, the guards standing there being like, don't touch anyone, or you're not allowed to do that. And as soon as they do, you know, they get pulled apart and they get taken away. Even like when I was younger watching Law & Order, I always thought like, why can't they have a hug? Their mother just came to visit them or their wife or their children. Why can't they have a hug? Right. You know, what's the harm in that? And it would actually cause benefits. Like it would be actually very beneficial for everybody who's incarcerated if they could have that affectionate type of hug. Um, or touch from somebody. Yeah, you know, it's it's even interesting that you're saying that because I, I remember learning, you know, normalizing sex surrogacy and, um, you know, trying to destigmatize some of that around, um, you know, people who are not able-bodied and, you know, they're still sexual beings or even yeah. there are the aging population. I think an example was given how there were, um, you know, two elderly people and, you know, they were both in palliative care and they wanted to like just be together naked and hold each other. But, you know, the care providers or medical team was not comfortable with that because it was sexual, even though they weren't going to have penetrative sex or anything like that. Um, they, they just wanted they wanted to be intimate, right? Um, and so they arranged for a sex surrogate to come in and put them in that position. So there are all these different types of situations where people are not being seen as sexual beings as well. Um, and then there's a real gap in care and services Absolutely. in that realm too, right? Absolutely. And I think I also, you know, I really like talking with the aging population because as a society, we look at people who are aging as not sexual. And I think that's really sad. And again, you know, maybe they don't want to have, you know, you know, sex when they're hanging from a chandelier, but even if they do, that's okay. But often it's like just that intimacy and that touch that people crave and that they want. And why do we want to take that away from somebody? Right. Because it and, makes them uncomfortable, not the, not the folks yeah, that actually want it. Exactly. And sometimes we have this idea too, that you can't touch people when they're older because, you know, they're more breakable or we're going to hurt them or, you know, they don't want to be touched. But even just, you know, if, if you lay your hand on top of their hand, like just a small touch, like, that or or put your hand on someone's shoulder you know or on their arm like those those small touches can go a long way and there's a lot of people who do live alone especially right now during the pandemic who are completely isolated and are getting no touch at all 
Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it's great that, you know, we can connect online. Like I can see you right now. I can hear you, but I can't touch you. And it's, it's not the same, right? Like I'm, I'm very happy and you know, I have friends and family and people like you that I can talk to, but it, it doesn't take away that craving that we have for okay. the physical contact. Yep. And if you think back, you know, evolution wise and to, to children, babies, you know, grow because they're being held because they're getting that touch. So if you just left a baby and didn't touch it, it wouldn't thrive. Right. So, so we know that. So that, but it's like, we ignore it once we're adults. Like we don't need it anymore. And, and, you know, you're touching on something too, where just during this, um, you know, um, isolation and pandemic where two sides of the spectrum are being amplified, where if people are trying to work from home with kids at home and everything's from home where you don't have the separation or me time to really ground yourself and figure out who am I without the role of being parent, partner, X, Y, Z, you name it. But then on the reverse side, there are people who are maybe single working remotely or elderly and only around care providers and they aren't getting any human contact or touch. And so everyone is kind of in their own experience with what's going on. But even as a sex therapist or someone who specializes more in desire discrepancy, I see this a lot with people who are transitioning to parenthood because let's say a lot of the ways to cultivate desire was through hugging, kissing, foreplay, touching. And then all of a sudden uh, there are babies living and feeding off of you constantly. And it's like, don't touch me. That actually is a turn off. So it's about navigating all of those changes. And I think through this pandemic, there are so many changes that need to be navigated that we aren't necessarily talking about. It's true. We're not talking about them. And the other problem is, is that we don't, we're all struggling. So even people like you who are in the profession of helping people, you're having your own struggles. So I think, well, what I'm seeing anyways, is a ton of burnout from everyone. Right. Whether or not, you know, you're a therapist or nurse, or you work in long-term care, or you're at home working remotely in the tech field, or you're a parent and you're at home, or you've lost your job, or like, there's all these pieces. And nobody, I think, is at 100% right now. (laughs) So we all have to, you know, have these conversations and work together. And I think also give people a break, you know, like give people a little bit of slack right now, because, you know, everyone is hopefully kind of doing like, you know, the best that they can do at the moment. With what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the other piece too is like just maybe even hearing. So like even like understanding what touched out means or what skin hunger is like, then you can go, oh yeah, that's how I feel. It's normal. Other people feel this way. Then you can broach the conversation to navigate it and, you know, pull back a bit or at least get that alone time if you need it. Like I need to sleep in my own bed tonight or I need to have four hours in the bathroom tonight or, you know, I actually need to get a test and go visit, you know, our grandparents and give them a hug or something, right? Like there are ways to try to talk about it now with the language i am um, i've started having more baths because i like to be alone and read and it's it's hard when you know our house isn't that big and so i'm like i'm gonna go have a bath <laughs> and i take my book and then i can just sit and read for as long as i want but i'm also lucky where i don't have a whole pile of people knocking on the door needing to use the washroom so i can take that time and use that bathtub uh, for as long as i choose so again just recognizing and i think trying to put yourself into other people's shoes is helpful um, and parents can do that with their kids too right like put themselves into those kids shoes because parents often forget what it feels like to be a child or to have those questions or to not have all the answers. And it is, it's different for children today because they're online all the time and maybe they're going to school online or they're, you know, a lot of their homework's online. So they have access to different things that, that parents, you know, that, that we didn't have growing up when we were, when we were that age. So it is, it's a very different, different time. And even things, you know, like social media, 
Some people feel really like connected when they're on social media. Some people get really discouraged and their anxiety and their depression goes up when they're on social media. So deciding, you know, is social media the place I should be right now or not? I know people have been like going through your contact list and just getting rid of people that aren't making you feel good or don't need to be there. All of those things. And if we go back to that consent conversation for a minute, making sure that you're asking your kid, hey, can I take your picture? And hey, can I post it online? Right. Because it's teaching them how to do it, modeling, right? Yeah. And a lot of things right now, like you're posting online because you're not seeing people, right? right? So you want to get those pictures out there maybe, but you can also send a picture through an email to grandma or to aunt so-and-so or to friends and other family members. You don't need to post it online. And again, you know, we don't know what that, what that's going to look like because this is the first generation that are growing up as babies where their pictures all over the internet. Our pictures when we were children aren't on the internet because there was no internet. (laughs) so we would have to find that picture take a picture of it and put it on the internet now um so i think we need to really i think think more about the consequences of that and yeah some of the consequences to all this work that we're doing online and i think some of it's wonderful and it's great and it does keep us connected like we can you know have a zoom meeting right now Mm -hmm. We are. So that's, that's absolutely wonderful. We can work from home, but there's other things that I think we're not thinking through long and hard enough. Yeah. And you know, and I, and I completely agree with you where it's like, it could, because it almost feels like socially acceptable and that's the new norm. Right. But it's like, well, what are the consequences of that? You know, when those kids are teenagers, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, where'd you get that? picture or xyz right you know you before we wrap up there was something else that you touched on too where um the consent around kids and even just about looking at the elderly population and potentially or the aging population and not seeing them as sexual beings where i think that's where a lot of the discomfort comes from with kids asking questions because they're asking out of curiosity and maybe just um if something might feel good but it's not in a sexual way at all and it's the adults that are sexualizing the youngsters right it's them being like that's inappropriate or why are you doing that thinking that they're to be becoming sexual when really it's it's out of curiosity or something might just feel pleasurable, but not necessarily they even know it would be in a sexual way. So can you just touch on that a bit? Because I think that's a big piece of it too, because we're coming at it as adults from a different lens, right? Yeah. So again, yeah, putting yourself into someone else's shoes. Cause you know, I love that piece too. Like when, when I'm 80, if I want to have sex, I think I should be allowed to have sex. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now sitting here at age 40, I'm trying to look at, you know, myself at age 80 and saying, yeah, this is something that I want to be okay. Mm -hmm. And then again, looking at kids, kids are not sexual, like they are sexual beings, but they're not thinking about things in the sexual way that adults are. Right. Until puberty. So after puberty, the game changes. But until puberty hits, those hormones aren't in their bodies. They're not thinking of things in the same way. And yes, they may touch themselves because it does feel pleasurable, but they're not sitting there having the same type of sexual fantasy that potentially an adult is. It'd be like the same as like twirling their hair or feeling the sun on their face. Yeah. Like- <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, so again, yeah, you're right, completely right. It's the adults that are putting this, you know, idea onto the children. So we have to, I think, step back for a minute and think about why children are asking these questions. And yes, they're absolutely curious. And you want your children to be curious. I think that's a good quality for people to have. And often kids are seeing things that they don't understand. So because of the amount of things that they can see online now, the amount of information they're hearing in the media, and you may think that you're protecting your children from hearing some of these things or all of these things, but you're not. Because every time they go online, every time they turn on a screen, every time, even a radio that's on in the car, or uh, maybe they, they see your social media. And I, and I know and I understand this too. I see a lot of parents just hand their kids their phone because they want their kid to be quiet. 
Right. And, and cooperate. Yep. Kids know how to scroll through phones. You know, they know they know what they're doing. So we do know that kids are much more tech savvy than adults are, and especially adults who, um, at the older you get, potentially, right? Because maybe you didn't grow up with it in the same way. Not that adults and older people can't be tech savvy, but kids are learning it immediately because they're on a screen. You know, within the first year of their life. Mm -hmm. like you see them right away you know they they know how to swipe they know how to get into things especially then as they get older so once they're you know in puberty teenagers you know they're doing things on their phones that even police officers can't imagine that they're doing so you know a police officer confiscates a phone and it takes them days to crack and get into like a teenager's phone now because of all the little apps and things that are happening so they know how to hide things they they have fake accounts that their parents can see then they have other accounts that they use so it can be scary and overwhelming but i think we just need to like put ourselves into the children's shoes into teenagers shoes and understand like get to the root of why they're doing what they're doing right. and it usually is yeah out of curiosity and because they've heard about things and they want to know what it is so they have questions that they want answers to and you know, even with you just saying all of that, it sounds like um, by trying to keep them in a bubble or protect them or telling them that they can't do something, they're going to find other ways to do it. So really the best thing you can do is be able to cultivate those open dialogues and conversations and have that um, open door policy that they can come to you and they don't need to hide things from you. So you really do have more information and you can help them be like, well, why, why would you engage in that? You come at a place of curiosity with your kids. So maybe they would make different choices or not. Maybe they didn't think 10 steps ahead as they made that decision like you would as an adult but if you yeah. are just saying closing the door and putting your foot down then there are other ways like back channels as you're saying or all these creative ways for them to still do what they want to do and so it's not a teachable moment yeah exactly and even things like actually touching another person and having sex again they're often curious like what does sex feel like what does you know that body part look like if I don't have that body part or because again you know there's so much sex in the television shows that they watch and so much going on within relationships so I think, you know, yeah, having those open conversations and not just about sex and bodies, but about relationships specifically yeah. and how how you want to be treated in a relationship and how you deserve to be treated in a relationship. And those are conversations you can start young, again, using friendship instead of an intimate relationship. Mm -hmm. Because again, you should be respecting your friends and, you know, having friends respect you and treat you well. And I think this idea too, like you can get rid of a friend if they're not good to you. It's okay. Right. right. <laughs> If it's not a healthy dynamic or friendship. Yeah. So you can start with, with that piece as well. And that's why I like the, you know, asking about the relationships on the, on the television show. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's huge. And that's a really good, powerful piece of advice because again, it takes the pressure off putting the question right on the kid too, or the child or the child, because it could be about a third, right? So it's like yeah. kind of, dialoguing about something else so it doesn't feel as personal but it is personal <laughs> um, so I like that well thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh, Stacey this was a, I think an incredible conversation and I hope so many people get so much out of it I think you know I always learn so much every time I talk to you so I'm glad that I was able to you too Kelly <laughs> well I know I can't wait for us to hug again one day <laughs> well thank you so much Stacey and I can't wait to talk to you again soon you too, Kelly. Bye. Bye.